Wonderful. Well, I want to uh, bring our teaching on evangelism to a conclusion. And uh, I want to share with you um, uh, something I've entitled The Roman Road to Salvation. Really, I want to share with you how to share the gospel, how to share the gospel with somebody. So now, what I'm going to share or what I'm going to teach on is not when you knock on somebody's door, you start saying to them, right, mate, I want to share with you the Roman road to salvation. It's not like that. It's when you have spoken to somebody or you've been sharing with somebody and they ask you or they give you the opportunity to share with them the gospel, um, what it means to be a Christian, how you come to get saved, what's involved in um, Jesus coming and so forth. Now, there are many, many, many different ways in which we can share the gospel. There are many different ways we see in Scripture, different lenses we can use. And uh, we're going to use what is famously referred to as the Roman road to salvation. And I've added a few things to spice it up. Uh, if we could just um, pray first of all and ask the Holy Spirit to help us. And then we're going to look into the Word. Father, thank you so much for your Word. Thank you that the entrance of your word brings light and gives understanding to the simple. Lord, as we share your word, let the spirit of wisdom and revelation be released in Jesus' name. Amen. You can start counting me down from now, not this time here, but the real time. I'm starting like now, so put it back, you know, where it's supposed to go. <laughs> All right, if you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Um, it's a backdrop. We're going to go through many scriptures in the book of Romans. So really, this is where we are presenting the gospel to someone. And when, we were, when I was praying into this series, I felt that I should give you something that helps you to really be able to just speak to people about the gospel and give you a, a good understanding about the gospel. Beginning of this series, we talked about um, what it means to be saved, what the gospel is all about. So now this is how to share it. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this really sums up the gospel. This really sums up the gospel. Remember, that word gospel simply means good news. Good news. And what makes it good news is when you understand the implications of humanity, of those who have a saving knowledge of Jesus and those who do not have a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What are the implications? One atheist is reported to have said, if I believe the gospel, as I have heard it, if I believe that there was a God and that Jesus Christ came on the earth and that he died for sinners and that uh, through believing in him that people will be saved and that people who don't believe are damned and are going to hell forever, this atheist said, that they would, they would give all their energy, they will give all their attention, they will give all their focus to seeing people saved, to becoming a Christian missionary and making sure that as many people as possible came to a saving knowledge of Jesus. But the last he said, he does not believe. Well, another Christian heard him say this, and from what that atheist said, he became a tremendous missionary, and through it, many souls were saved have been saved and were born into the kingdom. And the point is this. Yesterday we heard in the school that there is no greater opportunity you can have to talk with people than to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that there is no greater opportunity you can use with your time than to use it to ensure that people come to a saving knowledge 
of Jesus Christ. Beloved, the gospel of Jesus is the most important message that humanity can be presented with. If we believe what is written in the Bible, then we must really examine how we live our lives, including myself. One of the things I like about the School of Evangelism is that it helps me to sharpen myself in the area of evangelism. And the attendance was extremely poor. Um, it doesn't really matter, but I was asked a question uh, at the end of it. One of the leaders came and asked me, are we still going to continue this thing next year? I said, oh, definitely, sure. Because, I mean, for me, if none of you come, I'm going to go and get sharpened and get better. Because, look, Paul says something. 1 Corinthians 9.23, he says this. New Living Translation, he says this. I do everything to spread the good news and share its blessings. I do everything to share the good news and to, to spread the good news and to share in its blessings. I wonder how you view the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have been really provoked for quite a while about how busy my life is and how little space my time is given to intentionally sharing the gospel. And I really want to do something about it, and I'm seeking to do something about it. Amen. Anyway, so the Apostle Paul is a great example in how to present the gospel. Because in Acts chapter 26, we looked at this in the beginning of this month. We see in Acts chapter 26 how Paul presented the gospel when he stood before King Agrippa. And that when he presented the gospel, first thing was that he shared his testimony, how he came to Christ. And then he also explained what was involved in being saved. And then he made an appeal to Agrippa about giving his life to Christ. And I think when you are sharing the gospel, now remember, I'm not talking about your striking conversation with someone. I'm not talking about you're trying to have entry to begin to discuss the gospel. So like yesterday, we went door knocking, and uh, we knocked on a few doors, and uh, two particular doors were very kind and very warm in how they received us. They didn't really believe what we were sharing, but they were really kind, and they were really nice. At least they spoke with us. You know, normally knocking at doors, like, we knocked on others, and it's like, now, looked at, I was saying to the guy I was with, I think it's your good looks, because every time he knocked on the door, he kind of got some kind of engagement. When I knocked on the door, they looked at me and said, no, not interested. So I tried to get him to go first, and then I'll step in and say something. <laughs> but anyway, um, when you're knocking on doors like that, you, you, you don't want to really try and share the whole gospel. You know, knocked on the person's door, do you believe in Jesus? Uh, if you don't, you're going to burn in hell forever. Uh, uh, now wait, let me give you the Roman road. No, I'm not, it's, not, it's not like that. All right? It is when you have an opportunity, somebody is willing to hear the gospel, you, maybe you've struck a relationship with them, and they, they've asked you or they want to or they've asked you a question, what does it mean? And then you can use the Bible to go through what is involved in the gospel in the book of Romans. All right. So before I go, go into this, I want to touch on a few other ways in which you can share the gospel. So there are many methods. One of them we heard yesterday is scattering seeds. So where you're speaking God's word, speaking God's word, just speaking God's word as contained in scripture concerning the gospel. Maybe you're reading scriptures, maybe you're saying something that is relevant to the gospel. 
And through that, the Holy Spirit uses that to bring people to a place of conviction. Or another example is Philip, the way the Bible describes Philip in the book of Acts, how he spoke to the Ethiopian eunuch, how the Holy Spirit used him. And the Bible says that the eunuch was reading from Isaiah 53, and as he was reading it, um, Philip asked him a question, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless somebody explains it to me? And then the Bible says that Philip, from that text, began to talk about Jesus and continued to talk about Jesus. And as he spoke and spoke and spoke and spoke about the things of God's kingdom, when they saw a pool of water, the, the eunuch said to him, listen, here is water. What's stopping me from being baptized? Now, it means that clearly when Philip was sharing the gospel, he must have explained about the death and resurrection of Jesus and how you can make it relevant to your life through water baptism. So... Philip said, well, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you, you, you can be saved. You can be baptized. And so he said, I believe, and he said what he believed, and then Philip baptized him, and it was amazing. So that's another way where you use any portion of Scripture, any portion of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, and you begin to talk to people about Jesus from that verse of Scripture, and through it you bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And uh, that's why you need to know your Bible. Say to your neighbor, you need to know your Bible. Because from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, you can talk about Jesus. From Leviticus 4, verse 11, you can talk about Jesus. From Joshua 6, verse 6, you can talk about Jesus. I don't even know what these verses say myself. But I'm just saying, anywhere in the scripture, you can, you can pull them out, and you, from there you can begin to talk about Jesus. And then another example is how our Lord Jesus won the Samaritan woman in John 4, where he meets this woman and he has a, a word of knowledge about this woman. He has revelation. And from that revelation, he uses it to touch in her real issues and then bring her to a place where he... God. And through it, she comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus. So there are many, many examples. But let's look at the Roman road to salvation. So... The Roman road to salvation involves the following key aspects. Number one, the plight of the human race. This is in Romans chapter 3, 23. We'll look at it in a minute. Then why we need salvation, how God provides salvation, how we receive salvation, and what happens after we receive salvation, the results of salvation. And after you share that, then you make an appeal and you lead the person in prayer. So I, these are in your notes. I don't know why it's not up there, but they're all in your notes. So um, it, how many of you have an, um, the notes sent to you? How many of you have the notes sent to you? Can you wave? Oh, dear. Well, if you want the notes sent to you, um, call the office and tell them. They'll, they'll need your um, email address and so forth. But these are in your notes, okay? So the first one we're going to look at is the plight of the human race. Now, from God's perspective... No one has an excuse before him about his existence when they stand before him. In other words, no one can stand before God and say, well, I didn't really know that you did not exist. Now, I know that people call themselves atheists. Yesterday, I spoke to an individual, a very intelligent guy who was an atheist. He was totally convinced about his position, and it was wonderful speaking to him and getting his insights about why God doesn't exist. It was amazing. I mean, of course, I didn't believe him, but I'm just saying it was amazing to see how you can be so intelligent and believe something, and, and of course, he thinks that what I believe is um, fairy tales and so forth. 
But Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 23, look at what the Bible says. And I want to read this in the New Living Translation. New Living Translation, it says, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people. If you can get it in the New Living Translation, please. Who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. So what the scripture is saying here is this. Listen, from the very beginning till now, God has made that he exists very clear to human beings. He's made it clear through nature itself. Through nature, God speaks to humanity of his existence. However, it says this, that though they know the truth about God, because he's, they know the truth about God because he made it obvious, sorry, and blah, 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 blah. Let me read that. So, 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 so it says, through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God, or even, give, or even give him thanks. And they began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools, and instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. But what I want you to see is, is, is that they know... It says that they, they, it says in verse 18, God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth in their wickedness. They suppress the truth in their wickedness. So the first thing is this, that the human race, as a rule, number one, has tended to suppress the truth about God and his existence. And the reason is everyone stands condemned before God when it comes to sin. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In other words, every human being from God's perspective is already condemned. Is already condemned. Now, this is a truth that will be hard for us to swallow in our pride and in our ignorance. And I've heard people say things like this. Well, if God can be such a wicked God to send people to hell, then I want nothing to do with him. It's really nice to say that when you're here, but when you're roasting in the fire, you have a completely different take on it, I think. Um, it's easy to say whatever you're saying when you are very um, comfortable and you feel really good. But I don't know if you've ever been in pain before. And you're in so much pain, you will do anything for the pain to go. Anyone ever felt that before? Well, if you've given birth, and I haven't done it personally, but if you've done it, you will know that it's not a very nice thing. And the pain, that is, the pain, the pain. The point is, is that the sin is a reality, and the sin means we are already condemned. All have sinned, the Bible says. All have missed the mark of who they were meant to be and what they were supposed to do. Everybody. And because all have sinned, the consequence of sin 
is that thing called death. So that's the first thing, the plight of the human race. Now, we touched on this before about how the human race fell, and we don't really want to really go into it. And uh, the thing about sin is this. Somebody said, well, if God is such a good God, is such a perfect God, how comes he has created a world that causes people to sin? Well, God made this world perfect. He made it beautiful. He made it perfect. And he made human beings perfect. But something happened to us through our actions that allowed an infection, a spiritual infection called sin. It's like a manufacturer creating something, something perfect, but somehow along the way it becomes damaged beyond repair. And that's what's happened to us. That's what's happened to mankind. We, become, we became damaged beyond repair. Sin. I'll give you a few other verses about the, what happens, the effects of sin. Romans chapter 3 from verses 10 to 18. Romans 3 verse 10 to 18, put in the King James, New King James. It says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is no one, there is none who seeks after God. They all, they have all turned aside. They have become, they have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they practice deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. And I'll be honest with you, in my younger days when I read that, I felt, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not, I'm not that bad. I mean, he says this, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In other words, they're murderous. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And I, I read these things and I thought, nah, I'm not really, really that bad, to be honest with you. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, this is what sin does to all of us. Now, you may think you are not that bad until you analyze carefully the implications of all these things. For instance, let's look at a few things. They've all turned aside. They've together become unprofitable. Who here can say that they have always sought to see God? Who, who, who can say that? Always, from when they were a child, they've always sought to see God. Let me see if there's any liars in the house. Okay, fine. Okay, after you gave your life to Christ even now, how many of you can truly say since you gave your life to Christ, you have always sought to see God? Let's see. Not, not even one. Okay, so I guess we're all together. Okay, so it says none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. So what happens is this, because of the sin nature, anything that we do now has no benefit to us and is no benefit to God because we are polluted with sin. It says there is none who does good, no, not one. Whoa. Not one human being does good. Why? Because every human being has been infected with sin. So anything you do that may appear morally upright is still infected with sin. It says their throat is an open tomb. Their throat is an open tomb. In other words, they talk, their talk is foul. They don't say things that, are, that build up, that help as far as God is concerned. He says that the poison of asp is under their lips. In other words, the things they say is like, is 
poisonous. It's destructive. How many of you, the words, even, even after you've been saved, the words you speak at times over your own life, yet alone concerning others, are destructive words? And he goes on. Look at this one. This one, I think this one is an interesting one. It says, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. I think that's kind of obvious what that means. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In other words, they're murderous. Now, you might say, no, 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 I've never killed anyone. But you know, the Bible says that if you have hatred towards your brother, you are a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in them. So when we hate others, when we don't like people, you know, people say this, I hate them. I, I like, what's the phrase? We say something about hatred. Basically, we say something like, you know, I, I love them, but I don't like them. It's a lie. You don't like them because you hate them. You don't say, I love them, but I don't like them. How many of you say that? I like this person. I, I love this person, but I don't like them. I've, who's ever said something like that? I see how, how some of you are raising your hands. It's like, do I, do I raise my hand? We've all said it. So chill out. We've all said it. So if you have hatred in your heart towards somebody, the Bible says you're a murderer. Uh, look, at, look at the other one. The way of peace they have not known. What is the way of peace? The way of peace is, first of all, to be in harmony with God, and then harmony with your brother or sister, and then harmony with others around you, um, the rest of your world. The way of peace is, first, primarily, making sure that you are right with God. Until you are right with God, everything else about your life is not right. So, all of us, the point here is this, all of us stand condemned. And the impact of sin upon our lives is devastating. So, we need salvation. We need salvation. Why? Because of the consequences of sin. Because of the impact of sin. Since every action we make or we take will have a, a reciprocal consequence, when we sin, we can be sure that there will be a payment to pay. That is the reality. And the fact is, because we're all polluted by sin, we all need a way of escape. And the other thing about sin is this. Sin has a punishment that comes with it. Romans 6.23, we read it earlier on. The wages for the wages of sin is death. This is the first scripture I ever memorized as a child, even before I was saved. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a fact. So those of you watching me online, there are things you've done that nobody's ever seen, but God has seen it. The things you do that nobody knows about, but God knows about it. I, I was saying to my son, the most important aspect of a preacher's life is what nobody sees. That's the most important aspect of a preacher's life. It's what nobody sees. The thing that only God sees is the most important element of any man or woman that wants to represent the kingdom of God. And by the way, it's the same for you, for you as a child of God. The most important element of your life is the bit that nobody can see. Say to your neighbor, he's talking to you. I see the way you said that. <clears throat> Now, the punishment for sin is death, but it's not just physical death. Physical death is a consequence here, but it's spiritual death, which eventually 
works its way into physical death, and then what the Bible refers to as the second death. So there's immediate death, which means we're no longer in connection with God. And then eventually we die physically. That means we're separated from our physical bodies. And then there is what is referred to as the second death, where we are thrown into the lake of fire. Now, when we die, what normally happens is for the righteous, when the righteous dies, their realm, their spirit, goes to be with the Lord in paradise, which is in heaven. But for, and it's death until the second return of Christ. But for the unrighteous, when they die, they go to a place down in the spirit realm called Hades. And it's like in Remand. And they're there until the judgment, or what is referred to as the great white throne judgment, where Jesus judges everybody after the millennial reign. And in remand, it is a punishment. Now, that's often, it is a punishment, but it's not really as bad as, but it is the most awful punishment you can think of. So there are stages in Hades that different ones are in, and it's a place called torments in Hades. So there are different levels there. So you're there. That's not the hell that most people think. That is like the holding place. Then after the judgment, the great white throne judgment, everybody whose name is not written in the book of life is then thrown into the lake of fire. This is the stark reality. So when the Bible says the wages of sin is death, the death that is referring to there is the lake of fire. It's called the second death. And that one is forever. Now, you may feel that that's really not politically correct, you know, and that makes God look really bad because God really needs good PR, it makes no difference to God whether you agree with him or not. Whether you think it is something to, for us in the liberal West um, paradigm to applaud or not. The fact is there is a lake of fire that will be the final destination of everybody whose sin issue is not dealt with. That is the reality that awaits humanity. Now, hell, hell is that lake of fire is what's referred to as hell. It's not a very popular thing to talk about. And when you talk about it, you don't get a lot of praises and hallelujahs and amen. I don't think at the royal wedding, if the guy had mentioned about the lake of fire, it would have gone down too tough. Not sure even if he believes in that anyway. But anyway, let's just move quickly on. Aside from the punishment, there is also the fact that we ourselves cannot set ourselves free from the sin nature. So even if our sins are forgiven, even if all your sins are forgiven from today and your sin nature is not dealt with, tomorrow you are going to repeat the thing that you hated. Look at Romans chapter 7 from verses 15. Um, I'll read it in the King James, New King James because that's what I think they have. It says this, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But, but what I hate, that I do. Listen, let me read in the New Living Translation. It says it like this. I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Does that sound familiar? Okay, only Lindsay and one of us, yeah? Let me read from verse 16. I'll read it in the New Living Translation. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Now, don't 
don't misunderstand this verse. Some people said, you see, when I fornicate, it's not me doing it. Me, myself, I don't, I don't do fornication. It is sin in me that's doing it. When I lie, if I slap you, remember, it's not me. It's the sin in me. You know, some people actually t- preach this. They actually teach this. The fire is waiting for them. Let's, uh, no. <laughs> Verse 18. It says, and I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Why? There is a sin nature. So the sin nature that resides in all of us because of the corruption of the flesh is such that unless you are set free from it, you will be a hostage to it. And it will govern everything you do. And by the way, the reason why, let me just digress. The reason why Christians live in habitual sin, and it's actually supposed to be, that's actually an oxymoron, but habitual sin is wrong. The reason why Christians repeat sinful things is not because the sin nature has not been dealt with. It is because they refuse to allow the Holy Spirit to govern their will. It's as simple as that. They refuse to allow the Holy Spirit to govern their choices. Because every time we sin, we decided to sin. You see, one day in my journey, I, in fact, I used to always say this, you know, there are some things that as a man, some things that as a man, you just, from time to time, you will slip up. Some things as a man, from time to time, slip up. So I lived this life for years. I was a pastor. So I'm living a holy life, but once in a while, some things as a man, you slip up. Sometimes you see someone coming, you just look. <laughs> Sometimes you're watching something, and something bad, funny comes on, you just watch it, because you know you're a man. Then one day, a man of God, a friend of mine, had prophetic revelation. Now I say to God, please, don't be telling people anything I do. I don't want anybody knowing anything that I do, you know? This is between us. But God had enough of it. So one day, this friend of mine said to me, Joe, every time I pray, I'm praying for you, I keep seeing, like, God open the door of glory, and then the angels will shut it. God opens the door of glory, and the angels will shut it. So I said, why? And then the, the Holy Spirit said, look at what he's doing. So he showed me, imagine this, showed me watching a film. Watching a film. And then a scene will come. And I continue to watch the scene. You know, after all, it's a film, I'm watching the film. I wouldn't turn my eyes. So he said, because of that, what God wanted to do in my life, he wasn't doing it. That's why the angels were shutting the door. So when he shared this to me, I said, mm, yes, okay, yes. So he said, you know, Joe, if you can, you know what, I was really vexed. I was really vexed. It's like, you come on, Lord. I thought we had a deal, you know. Don't be telling people my business. So I said to myself, you know what? From that day, I will never. And that was like four and a half years. I will never, ever intentionally watch anything, look at any woman, desire anyone in my heart, country. Never. And from that day till today, over four, four and a half years, never. Not once. So then I said to myself, hang about. 
But I thought as a man, once in a while you have to yield. How comes I'm not yielding anymore? Do you know why? Because I don't want to be caught anymore. It's like you, you see. You claim you are burning. You can't, you can't, you can't stop this temptation. So you are about to commit some sexual act. Look at the way you look at me. I'm talking about sin. And the person says, just before we go any further, I need to tell you I have AIDS. Now, I want to ask you, would you still feel compelled to continue? I thought you couldn't help yourself. See, we deceive ourselves with lies. You would immediately re- stop. But I broke in Jesus' name. Healing. Claim healing. Nah, nah. So, the sin nature is there. And it has to be dealt with. So, how has God provided salvation for us? How God provided salvation is through Jesus Christ. Romans 5 eight says this, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Jesus died for us and paid for the price of our sins. And through his death on the cross, through his death on the cross, he caused everything that we owe God, every implication of sin, every consequence of sin to be dealt with. And he destroyed the power of sin. And through his resurrection, he proved that God has accepted his death as payment for our sins. Romans chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 says, Concerning his son Jesus our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. In other words, through his resurrection, he demonstrated himself as the Son of God and showed that God has fully accepted and vindicated him and anyone else who puts their faith in him when it comes to their sin. So Jesus is God's answer, not only for the consequences of our sin, but also for the very sin nature within us. So, when we put our faith in Jesus, God takes what Jesus has done as payment and applies it to us as well. But more than that, when we put our faith in Jesus, it allows the power of sin to be destroyed. And if that has been destroyed through his death and resurrection to be effective in our lives. So in Romans 7, 24, 25, when Paul is saying, you know, the thing I want to do, I don't do. What I, I do want to do, I, what I don't want to do, I do. What I do want to do, I don't do. When he's talking about this kind of tussle, in verse 24 and 25, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, or oh, miserable person I am, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? 25, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is? In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So the point is, is this. The only way you begin to get free is when you seek to trust Jesus. Really, from the day of salvation to when he returns, the way you enjoy your victory and enforce it is when you choose to trust Jesus in your given context. It seems too simple, but that is how it is. It's our faith in Jesus, our continuous reliance upon Jesus. That's why we as a church will focus on following Jesus. 
We're focused on following Jesus because he is the wisdom of God. He is the power of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the only means by which you can live in continuous victory. That is it. And the reason why, by the grace of God, I can be free from many of the things that used to hold me in bondage is simply because of faith in Jesus. Not because I've got strong willpower, but because of my faith in Jesus. It's your faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone that will, be, will enable you to overcome the sin nature that is still in your body. Now, the real you, your spirit, has been set free from the sin nature, but you still live in a body. It's like this. It's like you as, a, as an individual living in a house and your house is riddled with termites. The house is not you, you live in the house. Now you can deal with the termites in many ways. You can, you can sleep in a bed full of termites or you can deal with it. You know, in the same way, your body is a house. You live in your body. And in your house there'll be, there, are, there is the sin nature. You can allow the sin nature to dominate your spirit or you can allow your spirit to deal with the sin nature is entirely up to you. So when we receive Christ for the first time, God gives us a new nature and the power through faith to overcome that sin nature. So the day you got born again, God changed you. That's what it means to be born again. He changed you and put in you a new nature, his divine nature. Romans chapter 6, verses 5 to 14. It's a long read, but it says this. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, Jesus' death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Because of what Jesus done, when we put our faith in him, just like he died, so and sin was destroyed through his death, we also, our old man is crucified with him, and the body or the power of sin is also done away with. So you now don't have to be a victim of the temptations you feel. You don't have to be that. It, this took me a long time to grasp that, in fact, even I find this even when I'm fasting. When I'm fasting, I know how to deal with fast this way. Lord, give me strength. When I ask the Lord for strength, amazing thing happens. I'm able to resist the food. Praise God. But there are times I don't want to ask for strength. I want to eat. So in those moments, I say I end this fast in Jesus' name and I eat. I'm not going to lie and say, oh, I just couldn't help myself. No. I end this fast in Jesus' name. I've had enough. I don't want to do it anymore. And I'm going to eat. <laughs> All right, let's move on because of time. So, how do you allow what God has done to be effective? How, do, how, how can we receive salvation? Well, I've already said it. It really is simple. How a person receives salvation, how a person continues in victory is the same principle. Romans 10, verses 8 to 13. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So this is how you lead someone to Christ. You allow them to confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. 
He is Lord of their life and he's Lord of the universe. And they believe in their heart that God has raised him from the dead and that's how they're saved. It's very interesting. It's not about asking for forgiveness of sins. People think that the way people get saved is by saying to them, ask God to forgive you of your sins. Let me tell you something. You don't know how many sins you've done. You couldn't list all the sins you have done. And not only that, asking God to forgive you of your sins doesn't mean your sins are going to be forgiven. No, it's not like that. If that was the case, then Muslims will be saved, Hindus will be saved, nominal Christians will be saved. It's our faith in Jesus Christ. It's our faith in Jesus Christ that causes the work of the cross to be active in our lives. It's not about saying, God, forgive me. It's not like that. It doesn't work like that. I know it's very popular in Christianity, you know, in praying the sinner's prayer, and I've, I've led people, Lord, forgive me of my sins. But that's not what it says here. It is, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. That word confess means you say the same thing that God says about Jesus as Lord. And you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. In other words, Jesus is alive. You shall be saved. In other words, you shall be made whole. I'm going to conclude in five minutes, so I'll be done in five minutes. He says in verse 10, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So with the heart we believe to righteousness. In other words, when we believe with our heart, we are made right before God. We are made in right standing before God. Righteousness means rightly approved or approved of by God. So when we believe in our heart what God says or what God does, we, are, we become approved. And God sees us as righteous as he sees his son, our Lord Jesus. With the heart we believe unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That word confession is made, it means that we are brought to a place of alignment to where we are made whole. Salvation is simply being made whole. You see, it begins by our spirits being saved from the lake of fire. Throughout this life, your soul is being saved through the renewal of your mind. And uh, whereby you become more like Jesus. And eventually, your body will be saved from the corruption of sin when Jesus returns. So you are saved, you are being saved, and you're going to be saved. That's what salvation is all about. And so as you learn to believe in your heart that God has raised you from death, in other words, Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, his life is active in your life today, you experience his power of wholeness. But also, that's how people give their lives to Christ. Can you say amen? Also, another thing that is important to point out is this, that salvation is God's gift. So, the only currency he's looking for is faith. In other words, you choose to believe. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, it's a gift. So salvation is a gift. It's by grace through faith. Both the salvation by grace through faith and, both the, and the faith that you have are gifts from God. And the result of salvation is this. 
One, we are no longer condemned. We're no longer condemned before God. So in Romans chapter 5, 1 and 2, he says this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, beloved, no one can do that for you. And when you're leading someone to Christ, when they surrender their hearts to Christ, when they yield to the Lordship of Christ and confess him as Lord, the Holy Spirit will do something in them and they will know that they are saved. They won't need you to tell them they are saved. They will know. I got born again in my bedroom. I knew I was saved. I knew my life had changed. On the outward, I looked, I looked like the same person. But I knew my life had changed forever. Nobody initially believed me. My family members did not believe me. My friends laughed at me. But 36 years later, they all agree I am saved by the grace of God. The reason I'm saying that is this salvation, it says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. The first thing that happens to anybody who's born again, they know they're right with God. They have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Two says, through whom also, through whom also we have access into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice and hope in the glory of God. So we are able to receive, experience God's forgiveness and his cleansing of our sins. And that's why Romans chapter 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now that word condemnation, let me explain it. It does not mean there's no longer feeling pain. That's not what it means. It means you're no longer sentenced to the lake of fire. You're no longer condemned to the lake of fire. So it's important that we are clear about this because a lot of Christians, when, when let's say a Christian is doing something wrong and you say to them, my friend, what you're doing is out of order, they say, I don't receive it. There's no condemnation. There is conviction which will make you feel bad about the thing you're doing wrong. You're supposed to feel bad as a child of God when you do something wrong. Don't listen to these people who tell you, when you sin, you shouldn't feel bad. They are lying to you. I'm telling you, they're lying to you. You should feel very bad. It's like you slap your child or your wife. Let me put it like you slap your wife or your husband. These days it happens, you know, like this, like that, you know, blah, blah. And then you think you don't feel bad. You, anyway, let's move on quickly. So that's why there is no condemnation because your faith is in you're no longer sentenced to the lake of fire. So also, you enter into a loving relationship with God the Father. And that's why the Bible says, I'm persuaded in Romans 8, 38 and 39, that neither death nor life, angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height nor death, nor any other creature can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So I just encourage you to go through the Roman road. Once you've presented these kind of things to them, then you can make an appeal. Then you can make an appeal and ask them if they want to give their lives to Christ. Now, when you're making the appeal, never rush it. Don't force it. I see people, they'll share the gospel. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, you give your life to Christ. Uh, now, do you, do you want to surrender your life to Christ? Come on. Do you want to give your life to Christ? Give your life to Christ. Come on. So say the sinner's prayer anyway. It's like magic. You say the sinner's prayer. Lord Jesus, come to me. I say my sinner's prayer. No, it doesn't work like that. You can, the prayer doesn't save anybody. It's not the sinner's prayer that saves the person. I've seen a lot of people do sinner's prayers and remain sinners. 
and become members of the church. They are not saved. No. The Bible talks about the wheat and the tares in the same field. No. So you never rush the prayer. Many times people have asked me um, appeals because I don't feel to make appeals when I preach. The, the last many years I don't hardly I make it and you see nobody responds because they are not ready to be saved. When somebody is ready to be saved, you don't even need to make any appeal. They themselves will appeal. That's how it works. Let us pray. I want to pray over you and bless you. Those of you online, I want to encourage you to be willing to also share your faith. But those of you here and those of you listening to me, I want to pray over you concerning being willing to share your faith with others. Now, go through this and study yourself and uh, see how you can present it in a better way than how I've shared it to those that come your way. If you are saying to the Lord that you are saying yes for grace when it comes to sharing the gospel, I want to pray over you. Why don't you stand? If you're saying you want to be able to make presentations of the gospel to others, why don't you stand? I want to pray for grace over your life. As you stand, raise your hands, close your eyes. Just pray a blessing over you. Father, thank you for these wonderful men and women that are standing right now. Thank you for the way you're working in our lives to transform us. And Father, we give you the praise and the glory. I ask for anointing on everyone standing, that they will have the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding in sharing their faith. And as they do so, many will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus through them. In his name I pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you.